0: Hey everyone, name is James, and uh, we've been in the Josh Jen Weinberg congregation the past two years, so we're still very much getting used to Stellenbosch. Stellenbosch, if you come from Cape Town, actually feels so small. Anyone come from like Joburg or Pretoria, especially if you came from Joburg, Stelis must feel very small, but uh, we're loving it here so far. And uh, we, do have a, we do actually have a slide for the preach today. Man's return to glory. Does that grab your attention? (laughs) So, um, I just realized we've been doing the, we were doing a series, Acts 29, I think there was about four or five, I think, um, weeks we did on that, and then interrupted it a bit with two sermons on hospitality and devoted to the apostles' teaching. So this one today is not part of a new series, just a standalone sermon. But um, I want to I just give you some context of also where this comes from. Um, Andre and I were away for such, the ro- only word I can think of is a bougie wedding. Very bougie, very schmancy this past week. And it's one of those weddings where you're so glad that you, you look, just walk in there and you don't even pay an entrance fee. You just sit down and <laughs> enjoy it. It was in Caledon at that, you might know the venue called Devote. It's like a glass kind of. Um, venue in the in the trees and in the woods and these fairy lights everywhere is amazing. But um, what so stood out to me again is sometimes I think in life, we almost become too sheltered as a Christian from the world very quickly. Maybe for you, you're still in class and you're, you're here literally in a, a spiritual battleground. So maybe you don't feel as sheltered. But I know for me, I, I often get such a wake-up call when I'm around like the realness of the world, the poor the rich, whatever, the, the CEO, whoever it is. And it, it was so interesting just being at this wedding, seeing such money. And the, the presence of God was there. It was a Christian friend's wedding. But there, I don't know if you've been in those scenarios. It's almost like when you were in assembly at school, and if they did a Christian worship song, and it felt like the hardest thing in the world to lift your hands. Have you ever been there? And it, it felt like that almost at this wedding. I'm like, what is this? Hmm? No, I, I finally got them up, but I started small. I started here, lifted the elbows, like that. Like by the fourth song, I was up, and I did a bit of a sway, and I was going. But there was such a pressure. I'm like, why do I feel weird? And it just, it, it just so ties into this message. I want to speak today of, of literally to be a Christian is to be now, to be brought back to God and to be an image bearer of God it says it says in Romans chapter 1 verse I think it's around 25 that part of man's fall is he exchanged the truth about God for a lie and he's just enjoying that lie until he can get the most pleasure out of it the most whatever eat drink be merry you're gonna die to be a Christian now I just realized it is to stand and I'm like God opened my eyes to acknowledge him again as God he never stopped being God But it's to now go, you're God and I'm man. You're creator, I'm created. And it's actually so good for us to have those moments as Christians to realize you're you're a miracle in this world. You're an anomaly that you came here in the pouring rain today. I don't know if you walked in the rain or drove or what you did. But do you realize that you're a miracle? If you love God and there's a desire inside of you to bring him glory. And if you've called him Lord, that's a miracle. Can I get a witness? Don't get over familiar with that. It's an amazing thing because everything inside of man's heart does not want to call God Lord. And, and we'll look just now at the, the Garden of Eden just to trace our steps back to that. But one, one thing I also felt to mention was something that the church is, is so getting hammered on. And I think I'm sure Andrew will mention this. Knowing Andrew, there's certain things he always mentions I think you'll mention it at 412 conference, is false teaching. It is just you don't go on the internet and type false teaching and then it gives it to you. It parades itself as teaching. Yeah. That's the problem. And I think with false teaching, what happens is once you become aware of it, you're almost like you're treating, it's almost like a person, and you realize like they have like rabies. And you want to stay as far away from that person as possible. But there's a problem in that. Because The devil is smarter than us. He knows if he can go find truth and pervert it, then you're not just running away from false teaching. You're actually missing out on something about God that he's perverted. So whenever you find a false teaching, don't just just run. Sometimes you do have to run, but ask yourself, what in this message is actually the truth that the devil has come to pervert? And there must be a reason he wants to attack this, especially that truth. And, and even a, I felt it's necessary to say that because some of the stuff I'm going to say today might through your grid sound like, wow, James is making much of man. But check yourself, because what I'm trying to do is bring us back to truths about ourselves that I think the devil's hijacked. And, and part of the reason was that is even when we were driving back, we were listening to a song um, if you're ever driving back from Caledon or one of those places, I promise you here's a tip. I'm normally addicted to peregrine. Who knows peregrine farm stall? Ad- I don't know why. Like get a springbok pie. Such a white thing, like a little coffee, and you walk out with your pie and you <laughs> it is. I will drive an hour just to go there, basically, you get my coffee and pie and go home. But everything inside of me was like, okay, let's try different scenery. So we left from Stellies and we went over the Franchick Pass amazing, drive past Tiervader's Cliff, and we were listening to worship songs, and the some of the songs we listened to was, <laughs> Andrea, Andrea pointed it out, the one song was like, and he risked it all to save us. She was like, hold on, that's rubbish. He didn't risk anything. To risk something is to be like, I'm kind of unsure what's going to happen. It's almost a vulnerable God that sometimes gets painted, where he's knocking on the door, and he's like, I really hope I really hope they answer like man is so powerful and strong and God's like uh, just please like I need you that's nonsense and there's there's a lot of there yeah, it is good <laughs> so if you if you're worrying about a song just send it her way like rubbish and then you'll know and then you must find out what the truth is in the song but um it's those it's a lot of sayings like that this these days that is very much of like God needed you he was so like lonely, almost. He needed you, like, or he made the Garden of Eden, and he was just so like disappointed. Yeah, you know, there's that other line of he bankrupted heaven, and we thought about that. I'm like, did he really bankrupt heaven? Can you bankrupt heaven? <laughs> hey, and I get, I get, I get what those songs are trying to say, and I, I, they're not all. You mustn't become a heresy hunter, where you start calling out everything. But just analyze it, and just go, okay, what does it mean? What do I really believe? So that's, that's just some context of where I'm coming from, because we need to regain the truth, amen, and not just let the devil corrupt. It's almost like God puts a well in the middle of our camp, and God knows that water is going to give you life, and what the devil does is he pollutes it. And then everyone is so afraid of drinking from that well, but God has designed that well to feed his people. So that's, that's one of my hopes with this today is that we would regain something of that. So firstly, I wanted to start off and, and just ask you, what is your understanding of why Jesus died for you? Not just you might have an official answer up here. your official answer would probably be so that we could be forgiven of our sins, right? Something to do with sins normally. And you wouldn't be wrong. But I think what can happen As I've spoken to many people that they live the Christian life, and this might sound ridiculous, but you know what they're living each day? They're trying their best to have a quiet time, and they're just trying not to sin. And they think that's the Christian life. Guilty as charged sometimes, actually. Avoiding sin, almost a little bit scared of the devil, not walking in much taking ground or victory, just holding on. And I think we miss it sometimes. Sometimes is that in order to find out why he saved us, we've got to f- go find out what did he actually come to solve. If, he's rest- if I restore a piece of furniture back to its original state, how are you going to know you've restored it until you know what it looked like in the first place? So in the same way, I've got to ask myself, okay, for James, how do I know when I, as James, am walking in what God wanted me to walk in? And for me, what's really helped me is I have gone back to the garden of eden and said god how did you what did you create me for like i need more than just trying not to sin there's not a big enough vision for your life and most of the time it causes you to sin <laughs> trying not to do it it's terrible so so a, a scripture i want to just put up quick is first peter 2 verse 24 25 i'm just going to go quick through these these aren't the sermon this is the pre-preach preach No, no, this is the introduction. But look what Peter says here. He says, Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd. How's that? The shepherd and overseer of your souls. He's meant to be the overseer of your soul." And what sin does, it says, no, you don't really need that. You be the overseer of your soul. And when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? Just go back a verse. They came alive to sin and died to righteousness. That's what happened. So their great need and their nakedness and their shame, they lost their righteousness. They lost their presentability before God. And they somehow started to think that the way God had made us naked was suddenly a problem. And God, it's almost like something has happened. Their state on the outside hasn't changed in that moment. We'll see. But they've lost something. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hiding from God. And one more there. It's literally one chapter on, if you've got your Bible open in front of you. And it's also First Peter 3, verse 18. Look at this one. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, That he might bring us to God. How good are those words? Does that sound like just trying to have a quiet time and not not sinning? No. That he might bring us to God. Being put put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. And I want to ask us the question, what does it mean to be brought back to God? Because you can probably give me a little quick pat answer to that. But I think it probably means a lot more than we think. And that's, that's, that's the question I want to almost give you today. If you want to write a note down, ask yourself, what is your so that statement? So that, look at that, both those verses we read. God did something so that I would live a certain way. I would enjoy a level of relationship with him. And even after this, I'd love for you, get alone and ask yourself, not just officially, what have I studied? What do I think? But when I wake up each day, Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Otherwise, it's just dead works. You're just doing things to ease a guilty conscience. And we want to do works before God that's pleasing to Him. Amen? That come from a place of faith and conviction. And I think the way we do that is we we regain many of these truths. I think the enemy is hijacked. So, let's go. That's kind of where base camp will just be, is turn to Genesis I mean, it's all kind of there within one or two pages of each other. So you can just turn there. So there's a few few just points I wanted to touch on here first before we get to the part where you see man's fall into sin. How many of you feel like you want a stronger so that statement in your Christian life? Any takers? Do you feel like you're living with the purpose and conviction you want? Because I think there's more for us. So we check here. In in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 27, you see God making man. You're shaking your head at me. That's not good. (laughs) Well, let me... If you have it open in front of you. Genesis chapter 1. And in verse 27... It says the same thing a few times, but it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. His blessing was upon them. His smile was upon them. And said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. And then at the end there, at the end of that chapter, verse 31, And God saw everything That he had made and what did he say very good he's been saying good after each day gets to a point very good and what was interesting i was telling some guys the other day is then beginning of chapter 2 it says and god rested on the seventh day and i asked them do you think god was god exhausted why did he rest was he like oh oh my word that was exhausting i need a rest why, what do you think his rest even means? He looked at what he had made, and he said, I'm pleased with it. It's almost like he sits back. His rest is not our rest. Like on a Friday, we moaning about the week, and we're like, oh, it's the weekend. And Then a Monday starts, and we're moaning again. It's a Monday. We're weaker <laughs> than he is. But this rest, God looks at man. He looks at his creation, and he says, oh, it's very good. I'm going to rest in contentment and in satisfaction. And in the same way, if you've come back to God and said, I'm putting you back where you belong, I'm created in your Creator, and I trust in the work of your Son that He has brought me back to God, He is looking at you now again and saying, It's very good. Do you feel that? If you don't feel that, I think. You're not yet believing the truth about yourself. You need to see that. No one is saying that as a Christian you still don't sin. Don't jump to that too quickly, but think of yourself, that God looks at you and He said, I made them in the beginning to be human. And what sin came and did, what did it do? It made them subhuman. You see, you see a person in the world living for themselves, they're not living fully human anymore. So God's work, A.W. Tozer said this, says the glory of God is a man or a woman that is fully alive. And that is why God saved you. He's saying I want you to live again fully alive in the God and with him. And it's hard for some of us to understand. It's hard for some of us to grasp that because we have such a self-image of ourselves that you yourself are by far your worst critic. By far your worst. You've judged yourself the worst in your life. Forget all the friends at school or the people around you. They did a bad job, maybe, but you, in your own mind, have probably poured judgment on yourself so many times. I, I went through a phase that God, praise God, he brought me out of it. But I so struggled with performance at a time and like feeling like I let people down that I would literally hear a voice in my head saying, Say I hate myself. Just say it. Say you hate yourself. Ask Andrea, even the first year we got married, and I was like, I hate myself. And she would just cry. She's like, why are you saying that? And like literally afterwards, a few minutes later, I would be thinking, I don't hate myself. I I love myself and who God's made me. Where is that coming from? And it shows you you've got an enemy that does not want you to look at yourself and hear the father go, it's very good. He does not want that. He wants you to look at yourself and say, hate yourself. Perform. Put fig leaves, not pig leaves. (laughs) Put fig leaves over your nakedness and your mess. Keep them there. It's too risky to take them off. And that's what God needs to save us from. Thank God I haven't said that actually in a long time. I don't believe that. That's rubbish. I don't hate myself. But the devil will come in like that. these thoughts in your head he wants to basically take you back to the cross and for you to like die the death that Jesus died the whole time and you got to say no but he said it is finished so I'm starting where Jesus finished he finished it it is finished I'm not going back under that there's no more condemnation for me because I'm in Christ and you've got it you've got to literally stand in that and be established in that so staying there just in Genesis 1, we got, I mean, there's so much you can take out of this section, but I'm, I'm just taking parts. And uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, you see God forms man from the dust, forms him in his hands, breathes life into him. It wasn't the dust that was making Adam into a fully functioning human. It's the breath of God and the forming of God which is life inside of him. He becomes a, a, a living being. And then, and then I won't even touch on that section, but you see um, God saying it's not good for man to be alone. It's like one of the most quoted verses in like a dating seminar or a marriage thing. <laughs> it's, like a, it's probably like Steli's is like verse. Steli's <laughs> verse. it doesn't it doesn't just mean you need to be married god in a sense is not good for you to be alone so be amongst his people he didn't he didn't make you to just be isolated like that um and not everyone's going to be called to marriage paul calls it a gift he says do you either have the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage and you need to ask god for what he's given you that was a freebie that's not even the notes but maybe some of you need to hear that because you've probably made marriage an idol (laughs) <laughs> what is like punishment <laughs> but look at the end look at the end some of th- some of the most tragic verses you're going to see is the end of chapter two do you do you have that there chapter two i think it's verse 20 21 yeah and the man oh this isn't tragic yet this is getting to tragic and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed what a blessing. How many of you have ever battled shame? Don't even have to lift your hands. It's all of you. <laughs> you've, if you're a human being, you've battled shame. And shame says to you, no, not just you've done something wrong, because that's kind of easy to repent of. It says there's something wrong with you. So you don't know how to escape it. How do you escape that? If, if you believe there's something wrong with me, You can change your career, you can change your friendship group, change your church, change whatever you want. Shame is going to follow you. Just like goodness and mercy follow you in the new covenant, shame follows you. When you're separate from God. And then getting into into chapter 3 now. This is where I want us to to take a proper look. Do we have that? Chapter 3. Verse 1, okay, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Next one, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, okay, so he's remembering rightly to a degree. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. You can just stop there. Have you note, if you read that carefully, do you notice what's just happened? She, first of all, didn't hear first, firsthand the command. Adam heard it. So we don't even know what happens in between all of that. But because she says God said, she did get this information. She did, did get this command. But what do you notice already in the devil's attack? What does he try to go for? You know we spoke about false teaching earlier. tries to take the truth and just tries to pervert it. What is he doing here? He's trying to make a God that sounds oppressive, restrictive, and like he's actually hiding good things from you. He's trying to, he's trying to paint Almost throw dirt and mud, the character of God. And what he tests is what did God actually say. And he doesn't even quote it correctly. God didn't say you may not eat of any tree in the garden. God said almost the opposite. If you look at chapter two seventeen, God's command is you may eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think one of the hardest things to accept as a Christian is where is the line between a desire for information and, like, who feels like they've got a really hungry mind? You feel like you you struggle to be satisfied with the answers. Maybe you come meet with Leonard and you hit him with all your questions, and you leave, and you're like, I've still got more questions. (laughs) But it's tricky. Where is the line between not just being a naive Christian? On the one hand, you don't want to just be a naive Christian that is never questioned anything you believe or about god you go read the psalmists and you go read all of israel and they would almost contend with god they would they would reason with god and they would they would study his ways so on the one hand i'm not telling you to be just a naive christian but on the other hand you can commit an equal and worse thing which is to question every single thing god does And to say, it's almost, you see it in the extreme with an atheist or just just an unbeliever. They say, I'll believe in that God when I know the following for sure. So they've said, God is not up there anymore and I'm here. I'm up here and God is there and he needs to prove himself to me. Otherwise, I'm not coming to the table. And that might seem extreme, but I can promise you many of us as Christians have those subtle thoughts still hidden in your head. Why did God do that? Even the very question that you can obsess about, why did he put a garden in the tree? Why did he put a a garden in the tree? Why did he put that that specific tree in the midst of that garden? I think even in an obsession over that question, you can miss the whole point of it. I think part of man acknowledging, exchanging the, the truth about God for a lie, is to go back to God and say, the hidden things belong to the Lord but the things revealed belong to us and I will live on what's revealed but there is something so it's so subtle sin and pride in our hearts and you've probably seen it that it, it might even be the the loss of a loved one it might even be huge things in life that happen where you say I you might even get to a place where you say I can't serve a God that does that and doesn't doesn't tell me why and no one is telling you that it's easy, but there is something you need to build into your faith right now, even before those trials come. Build it in right now to your faith that says, you are God, you are creator, and I'm created. And there's a certain dynamic to that relationship. And it is the pure mercy of God and his grace that he reveals things to us. Does he need to? No. He didn't even need to make you. But he made you and now he came along and he revealed even his son jesus to you did he have to do that no so part of building a christian worldview is to put to death that thinking when you see it in you i promise you put it to death if you see that thinking that makes you rise up almost against god how dare you stand up there and not tell me not consult me have you seen it in your heart Put it to death, because it'll lead you down a path where before you knowing it, you're, you're believing so much in your own reason, your own wisdom, that you've almost gone back to exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And that is what the devil wants to do with us. So look, look at, uh, what, where does it show the verse there? right at the bottom, I think, Um, in like font size six. (laughs) I can't see. (laughs) I cannot even see what it says. But anyway, but the serpent said to the women, you will not surely die directly contradicting God. You can keep going. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the desire I was talking about now, to be like God, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Check what's happening there. We didn't, we didn't even focus on it that much. When God created Adam and Eve there, he said, I'm putting these trees in the garden, two things. They may be good for food pleasing to the eyes. That's before sin is even in the picture. God has made you to desire certain things. So when Satan comes along with a sin, maybe like lust, what is he doing? See a few smiles. Again, the solution is not just to go, no, 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 no. It's to say no initially, but then to go, what desire here that God has truly given me has the devil come to pervert that's how you're going to you're going to disarm that temptation cuz you can re-read and say hold on he's trying to tempt me to seek intimacy to be fully known to be wanted all those things and those aren't evil things are they no they're not but he perverts it just like he did there he added in it'll also make you wise Were Adam and Eve lacking wisdom? Do you think that were their lives miserable in that state God had created for them? They were eating of his food. They were walking with God face to face in the cool of the day. They'd been created in the image and the likeness of God. So one of Satan's temptation strategies is he'll come to you and tempt you to seek something you already have, often he'll do that. And I think one of the main ways he does that to Christians is he gets you not to believe that Jesus actually said it is finished. You can't believe it. And what you end up doing is you almost accept that God's accepted you back to a degree and you still use fig leaves to make up for the rest of your nakedness. You're like, he's clothed me to a degree, but I'm just going to add on my Christian activity and maybe my quiet times, maybe my repentance, and you use those as fig leaves. And you know what he's doing to you is he's causing you still, in a sense, to hide from the presence of God and to feel shame. Because if he can get you to root your fellowship with God and your friendship with God and your performance— You're in a horrible place. Amen. You're in a a, shifting sand beneath your feet if you're in that place. So the Christian, we need to be one who looks at what God made in the beginning. We look at Jesus' work on the cross and we say, that was truly a once-for-all sacrifice for my sin. And it, it was promised in Jeremiah 31 the new covenant that God said, forgive them of their sins and I'll even remember their sin no more. And he's dealing with you now according to Christ. He is your righteousness. He is your clothing. And stand on that each day because the devil's gonna try to tempt you to, it, it doesn't even feel like fig leaves often. The more you get involved, in church activity and stuff, the more tempted you're going to be to use your church activity and your status and your title and those things to act as clothing for you. Some, someone like Simone, who even led worship today. There's anyone, if you were to stand up there and, and do that, you're either going to have days where you feel really proud of yourself. Like, hey, it makes sense that God chose me and he's using me. I can see how this partnership It's kind of beneficial. (laughs) Or you're going to have days where you feel (laughs) like that was an absolute mess. And you want to almost hide from all the church people, and you want to hide from God, and just start over again. And what God wants for us is to root our fellowship with Him on something outside of yourself, on Jesus, because that's where there will be victory. As long as that spotlight is on you, you're going to come into his presence as long as it makes sense to come into his presence. You feel clean. But wait for the days where you don't feel clean. Like Adam and Eve after that moment. They could have tried as hard as they wanted. But the shame and the nakedness was like, God, don't even look at me. Peter said that when Jesus um, performed that miracle for him. He said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He knew his sin. He's like, I can't even look at you. But I I just, I feel it's, it's, it's so necessary. I just feel the Holy Spirit wanting me to bring that point across to you. That take a good hard look at how you're operating each day and say, what actually here is fig leaves and what are actually the robes that Jesus gave me, that he paid for? And take those fig leaves off. Say they were never a covering in the first place. So, so straight after that, the last picture I want us to look at, I think it's verse 10. Check here. I go back one. Probably one of the most tragic verses that we're getting to here. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. That is so sad. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You can stop there. Keep that up. Would the footsteps of the Lord cause fear in Adam before this? What would they have caused? Such joy. Such joy. Such expectation that there's no barrier here between us. There's no barrier. Nakedness, it's almost like if, you, if I ask you, like, does a fish know that it's wet? No. no. Did Adam and Eve before this know what nakedness was? If you went, bro, you're naked. You were like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And you're like, there's things called clothes. He'd be like, I have no clue what you're talking about. There's no problem with him. But all of a sudden, it becomes a problem. And instead of almost begging the Lord to remain in his presence, they're, in a sense, begging the Lord to run from his presence because they can't stand it anymore. And part of God's work is you can put it back up again. Put up 1 Peter 3, verse 18 is that Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you back to God. Can you see it now? He wants you to walk with him in the cool of the day. And the tempter is going to come to you and he's going to say, run after the things of God, but not from God. Seek the things that God can give you, but not from his hand. Seek them almost by themselves. Seek joy. Seek peace. Seek pleasure. But not from his hand. And that's the trap. So I see already that my, my time is up. Why don't you close your eyes? Father, I firstly just want to thank you that you are the spirit of truth. That we don't have some compass inside of ourselves that perfectly can hold on to it. That we wander away from you. We wander away from the truth. And we buy into these deceptions, the deceitfulness of sin, you call it. And so many of us, Lord, have have almost gone down those paths. Satan has come to us and said, here, here's fruit to eat. It will be good for you. It will nourish your body. And in a sense, he's right. But he has perverted that thing. And instead of it giving you life, it gives you death. Instead of it making you want to run back to God for more, you end up running from God's presence and making a way for yourself. And I want to give... All of us, the opportunity today. I don't even care who you are. If you're a human being and you've been born into this world, God has placed desires in your heart. And you're going to experience chaos in your life and disorder until you come back to your God. That's the truth. So I want to I give you a chance. If you just know, if you felt the Holy Spirit, He will, he will, he will pull on your heart. He'll draw you, and he'll tell you where the lies have been. Maybe you've just bought into religion, and being almost just church attendance. And that has been your covering. And it's made you feel better about yourself. It's made you feel better before God. It's almost like the Father is coming today and saying, put those things down. Take those fig leaves off. And come stand in his presence again, naked and unashamed. So if that's you, I want to pray with you. And I want to ask you to just be brave. You don't have to stand up, but just if you raise your hand, I would love to pray for you that you would say, I'm going back to the source of life. And I'm taking off this false what's this false clothing I've been wearing? And for the rest of you here, if you are feeling also like, like the Holy Spirit has just come today and just deposited truth to you, He does that. He's deposited truth and just said, there's so much more for you. I, th- I felt it as I was sharing earlier about the so that statement. Felt like felt like the, the, the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of so many of you, and He wants to come alongside of you and whisper, there's so much more. There's so much more. You might be one of those that have just fallen into this. It's almost that performance trap of a Christian is someone who just has quiet time, tries to do their best to have a quiet time, and tries not to sin. That's a specific group I'd actually love to pray for. If you feel like you have fallen into that thing and almost your horizons of what it means to be a Christian, your vision, has just become almost small, I also want to pray for you. And if that's you, will you stand and just respond? Just stand and say, I want to, I I, I want, I feel like my vision has been small and I want it, I want God to enlarge it today. That's amazing. Let me pray for you. Why don't you just lift your hands? Lift your hands. Christ didn't die for you that he might bring you back to church, firstly. He died that he might bring you back to God. That's who you're communing with. That's who you're having fellowship with right now. Even if you're seated, you can lift your hands. So, Holy Spirit, I pray, come right now. And in a sense, just breathe life again into dry bones. Just breathe life again into dry bones. We're just... Religion has maybe grabbed hold of some of our hearts. Just a coldness or a deadness or just almost no spiritual ambition or expectation anymore. Just surviving, just day by day. Just pray, break that cycle in Jesus' name. There's so much more for us, Lord. There is so much more for us. You are the first person to say those words over us today. You look at each person here And you're saying to every person, you're saying, I made you. I formed you with my hands. I breathed life into you. And there's never going to be another you. You are unique. So God is saying, stop comparing yourself to others. Stop comparing yourself to others. Embrace who he has made you to be. And say, Father, I want to hear your words again saying, it is very good. I need to believe it. Because the enemy is a liar. And Lord, I pray where he has lied over people, that right now you would shine your light on those lies and cripple them in Jesus' name. Cripple those lies. Darkness cannot stand against the light. When light comes in, it must go. It doesn't even have a choice here. So just in your own heart, say, Holy Spirit, come shine in my mind. Come shine in my mind my heart and rid me of any lies about myself or about Christ come do your work Holy Spirit this is not a man-made job this is between the, the creature who was made by his creator and says I will return to my father I will return to my father I don't belong in the world I don't belong in the streets You weren't made to provide for yourself. You weren't made to be your provider. You weren't made to love yourself. You were made to walk with him in the garden with his smile over you. And I pray, Lord, for those that feel like they have even never felt the smile of the heavenly Father. May they experience it today in Jesus' name. May they experience the smile of the Father saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. I pray where there's been self-hatred, just like I even testified, would you break that in Jesus' name, that self-hatred is a sin, because it's saying what God has made is not good enough. So come, Holy Spirit, just do that.